This is Paul Robinson. You're listening to Starseed, an intrepid adventure with Mark Glenn Moore. Hi. In this episode, we're going to talk to Ella LeBain. Ella was introduced to us by Dan Harari, who we interviewed a few weeks ago. Ella is a renowned biblical scholar, an ET experiencer, and a longtime UFO researcher. She's a member of both MUFON Colorado and MUFON National, and she's the author of this six-book series nonfiction entitled Who's Who in the Cosmic Zoo? A Guide to ETs, Aliens, Exoplanets, and Space Controversies. She reveals in great details the origins of the history behind and of upcoming disclosure of alien life and its historic effects on mankind's culture and world religions. Enjoy. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Hi there. Good evening. Hi. Evening. How are you? We're good. How, How are you? Good. Good to see you. How's things in uh, that over there? <laughs> Colorado. Yeah. Oh. Well, the weather's pretty crazy today, but everything's okay so far. Thank God. Uh huh. We have hail, hail, and thunder, and rain, and. Yeah, you just had Sign a bunch of... as if nothing ever happened, and then it starts all over again. It's just you, you had some real, you had some real weather just a little bit ago, a couple of days ago, right? Yeah, today actually too. Really? Yikes! It's an El Nino thing. Oh yeah, it's going to okay. be going. It's going to be going all summer, I guess. Yes. So this is Mark. Hi, Mark. Hi, and I'm Paul. Hi, Paul. Nice to meet you. No, nice Paul, Paul is uh, the producer of this uh, podcast, Starseed, an intrepid adventure. And, um, and of course, I'm Mark. And um, we're so excited to have you on, on, the, on this you. program. Um, and we did have some good conversations with Dan Harari. Um, we got two episodes. And, um, yeah, wow. we have a lot of stuff to ask you. Oh, Okay. Um, I'm, I'm sorry that we didn't get to talk at the conference in San Francisco. I know. I think we said hi briefly, but I didn't yeah. get a chance to talk well, to you. You were busy. I was busy. It just, so I'm glad we got this opportunity. This is. Yeah, me too. Special. Thank you. That's cool. I can, I can hear you're from New York. I am. Mm-hmm. What part? New York City. Wow. I was born in Queens and, uh. Am, am, are you seeing me clearly? Oh, completely. Yeah. Okay, good. You look I, great. I tend to look at you and not the camera. So if you want me to look at the camera and talk, I could do whichever cut looks better. You just direct look, me. And I'll look follow. At, we're not doing video. We just we have this so we could see you while we have the discussion. But the podcast is all audio. And uh, I, so I put on makeup for nothing. Oh darn! But, but thanks for well, doing maybe, that. Maybe <laughs> never never say never. We have the oh, okay. footage. we have the footage. Okay, I'm just kidding. We're just going to show it to our agents out here and say, say we oh. have the perfect person. Do you sing? I need a I need a singer actually. <laughs> My daughter is a singer. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah, she's a theater person. She does everything. I see you've got the uh, titles and the the covers for all of your books behind you. Yes. Are, are all six there? No, uh, number six has not been released yet. It's still in the editing process. So um, hopefully by Christmas or the new year. Mm-hmm. That's, 
I, I just downloaded your second book on Kindle. Uh, is your first first book av available on Amazon? Um, so it used to be, and it's out of print. And I'm right now in the middle of getting the final pieces together. So I'm I have to republish it as a fourth edition. So it was an opportunity because when I first published, I had gone through a traditional publisher, which I wouldn't recommend. Mm -hmm. And uh, then they went out, <clears throat> they went out of business. And then so my book went out of print. Fortunately, I bought up like several thousand copies. So I, I've completely sold out. So this is an opportunity for me to um, uh, republish it under my own imprint as an expanded revised edition. So I'm like adding a couple of hundred pages to it. Oh, that's cool. Mm -hmm. Right. A chance to edit it and, and revise it. Yes, because when I originally published in 2012, that was a different culture back then, as I'm sure you remember. And uh, now we're in disclosure, so I need to catch up with that. Wow, we should Not in the book. <laughs> well, we should circle back to the uh, to to the uh, now that we're starting to have a bunch of you know uh, reveals. Uh, what, what your what your what your view is on that, and how that ties in with your vision of uh, in your books. You you essentially your books are kind of a map of how this is unfolding and who the players are, right? Yes, yes. It it, it was um, originally based on it still is um, um, unraveling and discerning the disclosure in end time prophecies. Mm -hmm. So I connect dots. So and end time prophecies, primarily from Old Testament or all all the uh, books. Um, so um, end time prophecies are in both Old and New Testament. All the exo biblical books. I was raised Jewish, and uh, I was sent to Israel uh, to get an education. Right, and uh, I came well, back. Well, let, let's let's interrupt just for a second. Oh, so sorry, why, why don't you give us the whole your your bird's eye view of what you think we should know? Because our listeners don't all know your uh, your biography. So give us a rundown of, uh, of where you're from and why you do what you do. OK, so the background. So I was born in New York City and I left when I was 15. And uh, they sent me to Israel to complete my education in a place called Sadebo Care, which was um, started by David Ben-Gurion, who became the first, he was the first prime minister of Israel. He lived there and he was also buried there. Anyway, um, it, it became the biological research center of the Negev, which is an arm of the Ben-Gurion university which is in Beersheba so we were like an hour's drive away in the middle of the desert nothing you can't see lights except at night you know the stars and that's kind of where I had my first UFO experiences um so there was a lot of activity there and I was very young and you know I didn't know anything about anything really and uh I just, you know, my girlfriend and I would go out and watch, we used to call them spaceships, and we would watch them at night, and that was in the 70s. 
So back in the mid 70s, you know, we did have satellites up there, but not as much as we have now. And what I found that was really odd were um, the what they call the Hamsins, which were sandstorms that, you know, it was like a bluebird sky, not a cloud around. And then all of a sudden, not even wind. <laughs> and all of a sudden, everything would be covered in sand and dust. And one night I kind of saw something from a distance that was all the way out in the desert. And what I believe I saw was something coming and going and it kicked up the dust. So that's why when we had these sandstorms, I, I just assumed, oh, it's the ships coming and going. Wow. <laughs> it wasn't like a weather event. So that was my first like experience. Um, and then um, when I graduated in July of 79, 1979, um, I was waiting on a visa to go to South Africa with my then boyfriend. <laughs> and my the principal of the school, she had, and we were left there because everyone had, had gone, but we were waiting. So they let us stay. So the principal asked us to come and help her clean her office. And she gave me this book that belonged to David. It was on his coffee table. And it was called The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. Hmm. Sure, you've heard of it. Mm -hmm. Well, um, I just like gobbled it up. Like it was like I, I, I was so engrossed in it because I had just been tested. You know, I had matriculated. And part of the testing had to do with the prophets of the Old Testament, what, what, you know, what the point of it was. And so when I saw him lay this out, you know, it just like I felt like I had discovered America or sliced bread or something, you know. Amazing. <laughs> so you so this you, so you graduated with a degree in biblical Hebrew. That was. Well, that was part of my degree. The, my um, major was uh, uh, social sciences and biology, uh, but I couldn't pass without biblical Hebrew. Right. Just like here, you can't pass without gin. Right. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's part of the curriculum. It's part of the culture. Yeah. Right. So it all started to make sense. And I'm reading it and I'm waiting on this visa and it's like three in the afternoon and it's hot. It's July. It's the desert. The sun is shining and out of the light of the sun and I'm wide awake. OK, laying in, you know, in a bathing suit, sunbathing, reading a book, you know, just listening. And this man just like comes out of the light. Wow. And he approaches me and he says, I am the Messiah. Follow me. That's quite, quite a claim. I was just like, I'm gobsmacked. I have nothing to say. And then he just disappeared. And then I start telling my boyfriend and one thing leads to another. And it's just that genie is never going back into the bottle. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. Because that was just the first time. And I have seen him six times in wow. my, in my life and I'm 62 now. So, um, I'm a believer because of my experiences, not because of religion or, you know, 
um, because I've struggled with the religions because of the way I was raised. And so I'm sort of a hybrid. Um, I stand with one foot in each world. Um, my father was um, Orthodox Jewish, raised Orthodox Jewish. And then after the war, he married my mother, World War II. <laughs> and uh, after that, he married my mother, who was um, an Italian immigrant. Right. So both, you know, his family excommunicated him right. for marrying a shiksa. Right. <laughs> except but, me for well, that, born. <laughs> and hopefully you didn't have to grow up in a nothing against a, a kosher ha household, but there's lot of rules in the uh, in a kosher household so oh my goodness it's it's crazy so long story short my mother died when i was six years old and then my father remarried a jewish divorcee uh -huh. and then they brought me into that family and she kept kosher and i was always questioning what you know the hypocrisy of it all because it's like oh okay you can't eat shrimp and lobster on these plates, but you can do it outside or on paper plates. So what's this about? So I was very rebellious of all those, you know, restrictions and everything. So that's one reason they sent me to Israel. <laughs> really? Oh, really? You're too much trouble. Off to school. That's right. So they sent me to Israel to get an education and I came back with Yeshua. So that was more than they could handle. So I was excommunicated from them. So wow. what they did to my father they all did to me as well. And so I write about this in my books uh, because it's, you know, in psychology, they call it the family trance. But I it's also called generational curses and ancestral curses. Long story short, all of that sort of led me down the rabbit hole of trying to figure out my own experiences because um, I had uh, been abducted since I was the age of two. And this is because my parent, my um, biological mother and my father used to talk about it all the time. So it wasn't something I had to access with like hypnotherapy. It was a memory that I grew up with because they used to find me upside down in the crib with nosebleeds. And they always used to complain about they had to change the sheets and the sheets were so bloody. And so I never <laughs> forgot that, you know. It's quite and, amazing that you can remember that from the age of two. Well, yeah, you know, they talked about it a lot. So it was kind of a repetitive story. So I, you know, thought it. But, you mean, um, they, they complained about it a lot, you know, yes. <laughs> right. Yes. And then, you know, when my mother died, something also, you know, a, a lot, a lot of shifts happened. I was an only child between them. So. Um, I always had pr problems with my right nostril, and I always I was always trying to tell them like something's up there, it's not normal. And I had this little BB-sized, like, oh, there's a growth, or I don't know what. And you know, they never did. Nobody ever did anything about it. And I believe that was an implant, and that was probably inserted. At the time when I was two, when the, the, all those nosebleeds were happening, wow. and they would find me up, they always said, "You're always upside down, right. like like with you know standing on my head kind of thing." Wow. Yeah. So maybe that's the way they left me. I don't know, but these are memories that just you know that got talked about. So that's why, and I just kind of like thought, okay, well, I always felt a little odd, 
And like, I didn't fit in here and I didn't fit in there. And then I had this step family. I'm like a, you know, kind of a real life Cinderella. And one of them tried to murder me. So they said, that's one of the reasons they sent me off to Israel. Wow. And I come back with Yeshua and they all freaked out. Hi, this is Sandy with Olanapua here in Maui, Hawaii. I own an Ocean View penthouse studio condo here at the beautiful Kanapali Shores Resort in West Maui. This oceanfront property has two pools, a restaurant, a full bar, a day spa, and on-site activity planners who will book your day trips all over the island. In addition to walking distance food shops, the resort is located just a 15-minute drive to the town of Lahaina, where you will find plenty of restaurants, shops, and live music. To check room rates and availability for your Hawaiian getaway at Aston Kanapali Shores, Unit 936, go to www.vrbo/124-2558. Again, that's www.vrbo slash 124-2558. Hope to see you there. Aloha. Yeshua is your boyfriend? No, he's also known as Jesus. Oh, you come back with, with your the Messiah. Messiah, yes. He came the, back with mm -hmm. That's the Hebrew name. Yes, right. His real name is Yeshua. The name Jesus didn't even come about until the 1700s. Isn't that right? They right. didn't have the letter J, so right. You know, sure. so right. Yeah, I've no, I've known that spirit by that name and not by Jesus. So I I, yeah. I resonate with that. Yeah. Well, yeah. So you came back with it in your in your psyche, or you actually physically came back with them? Well, that's a great question. Um, I would say both because he lives in me. So he's in my physical, right. but also spirit. And, wow. you know, it just became like it's a relationship because it was a close encounter, which I have had a few, you know, like six of them with him, a very vivid, you know, undeniable. And one was a near-death experience, which happened in 2010. So that is really when... He gave me sort of marching orders in a way uh, because I was doing all this research on the aliens. And, and um, you know, even though I believed I'm a Jew for Jesus, if you want to call me something, mm -hmm. I always struggled with uh, cr the Christian churches and with um, Christianity in general. And, you know, I could never really put my finger on it. A lot of it, you know, I realize now um you know, because I'm in my 60s, but back in my early 20s, I couldn't understand why they always looked at me sideways or treated me different. And now I realize a lot of that was just pure old fashioned anti-Semitism. Right. So and then I ended up in South Africa for two years, uh, right before the end of apartheid. So I got involved. I was doing counseling and everything. This is right after I graduated. And um, I just got imprinted with, you know, like the, you know, it's the worst problem, social problem on planet Earth, which is racism. And anti-Semitism is part of racism. It's just another form of it. So it became sort of a thing for me to try to, like, figure it out. And um, so it's it's the basis of, of a lot of my writings because I expose it. 
um, in in Christianity. Um, there are a lot of good Christians out there. Don't get me wrong. Um, you know, and uh, and thank God for them. You know, because right. somebody has to be representing the true Christ. Yeah. Uh, the old joke is somebody has to pay retail. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and, and it's, you know, and, and there is a, a counterfeit Christ, you know, there isn't, there is like the real one. And then there's the counterfeit I, one. I wanted to ask you about that. Yeah. What, 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 I haven't read that in your book and you do, you, uh, you do a whole book essentially about that or. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. The, uh, who is God is, is basically unpacking and unraveling the cast of characters in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So I, I call it a cast of characters because I realized that that there was that that the English Bible was mistranslated uh, uh, from Hebrew. And so when English speakers read it, they don't get the whole story Sounds and they and then they argue amongst themselves about, oh, there's so many contradictions. How does how come God says don't do this and then he does it? Well, the 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 answer, the short answer is because it's not the same God. Right. So huh. in the original Hebrew, you see this whole cast of characters and all the names of God covered up. So in 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 uh, English, they just use two words, which is Lord and God. Right. OK. And so one of the points I make in in book two, who is God, is Lord and God are not names. They're titles, mm -hmm. you know, it's like president or king or sir. Mm -hmm. And um, so every time the name of the father, you know, Yeshua's father uh -huh. with Yahuwah. OK, his name is covered up. Right. OK, and they just write Lord. And then every time. Then the Elohim showed show up, okay, right. which is plural in Hebrew for gods with an S. Right. At the oh, I never thought of that. Mm -hmm. It's God's and, helpers, essentially, right? Yes. And uh, well, Elohim means gods. Right. So they've been mistranslated as God with a capital G. Uh -huh. They're really gods with a small G. Right. Okay. So the linguistics of Hebrew was not. Uh, transferred over into the English, right. which confuses Christians. It confuses a lot of people. It right. turns people off, and 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 the whole thing is a mess. Okay, right. Right. so I try to unpack that in terms of the name. So like you know, what's in a name? Right. Our identity is in a name. Right. right? Yes. We are. So that's why I call it a cast of characters. And um, one of the most famous Bible stories is Abraham when he went to go sacrifice his uh, miracle baby, Isaac. You, right. Everybody knows that story. Right. Menopausal, let's call it a menopausal baby because Sarah was in her 90s. Right. So she had to be postmenopausal, okay? It happens. But anyway, so, you know, God gave her a child. Right. And, um, but it specifically says in the law book, which is in the book of Leviticus, which is all the laws and the rules, right. do not sacrifice your children through the fire, uh -huh. Moloch or any other god for that matter. Right. And this is the thing that was done in, in the ancient world. They sacrificed 
children, women, everybody got thrown in, blood sacrifices. I mean, this was how the ancient lived. And why would God say, do not do this? And then God, the same God comes along and says, well, if you love me, I'll sacrifice your child. Prove it by putting him through the fire. That was, I prove in the book you have through linguistics that in that particular story, that um, chapter in Genesis, that it was not the Lord. Not the same, not the same God. The Lord does not, the, the Lord Yahuwah says, I do not test, I do not tempt. Right. So, so that was the Elohim. And when it says that Abraham heard a voice, it never said whose voice he heard. Mm-hmm. Why I find this story relevant to us today is because everyone walking around the planet hears voices. And we all need to be able to discern whose voice are we giving our ear to, who are we paying attention to, who's trying to influence us and get us to do something that maybe mm-hmm. we don't want to do. Maybe it's uncomfortable. Maybe it goes against who we are. Right. And well, they're trying to use us to do something that, and that's what happened in the, in the story with Abraham. And I proved it through linguistics that it wasn't the Lord. It was actually the Elohim and Satan was among them. Right. The, the literal words from the Bible. I, I can make this up if I try. No, I, I, <laughs> and I totally get it. I mean, it's like uh, with Solomon's temple, he was, he, he was saying, you know, Solomon's like an extremely holy guy. He's a priest king again. And he's saying, well, these, he calls them demons, but you can think of them as elementals. And they, the same as essentially something that can affect you mentally as well as physically. He's, your job here as a, as a, as a, an, uh, a citizen priest, as we all are supposed to be, is to control these things and bring their energy higher. And then know what's you know affecting you mentally because those things are nibbling at us all the time. I mean, so that's you know absolutely. Kind of- I totally agree with that, and that's exactly what was going on. And he was trying to you know uh, cause mischief and cause trouble. And so at the end of the story, only at the very end, okay, does the Lord Yahuwah come in? He doesn't himself. He sends one of his angels. And I delineate the linguistics of how, to, how you can tell the difference between his angels and the other guys. Right. Because they both have angels. They angel have. means messenger. Messenger. Angel, right. right. So it's not like, oh, just because, oh, someone's an angel. There's fallen angels. And then there's, you know, heaven's angels that, that, are, that stayed faithful and they work for Yahuwah. So Yahuwah basically sent one of his angels to save Isaac. Right. And that's the only time in the whole story that you see his name show up oh. when he came to save him, hmm. okay, from this scheme right. that, that, like you said, you know, it was demonic in nature yeah. because it went against God. So what happens when this type of stuff happens? And this is, this is not an isolated incident. No, I mean, it's, it's happening to everybody all the time. I mean... Yes, every day is that it creates mischief and it creates confusion and confusion is not of God and it and it sends it, it causes people to lose faith. It causes people, 
you know, to break their relationship uh, with the creator of their souls. It causes them to not have a spiritual life, mm-hmm. you know, et, et cetera, et cetera. So well, it's I, good to know the truth because the truth is liberating. And in your cast of characters, are the uh, archangels, are they equivalents to what you see, say, from the Kabbalah? Is it kind of the same? From, from... Yes, well, I kind of devoted a whole book to them, which is book three, Who Are the Angels? Right. So I just kind of separated just for organization purposes. But yes, um, there's it's a hierarchy. So right. yes, to your question, archangels are considered princes. Okay. So they're kind of up at the top. And then, then they have lower angels that work for the archangels, like armies, mm. like complete armadas. And that's another word that I pulled out because it's relevant to these times we're living in and the end time prophecies. So, like, for instance, the words um, Adonai Tzibao. Mm-hmm. You might have heard that. J.J. Hertek talks about that in his Keys of Enoch and, and that, that those are words you can use for protection when you're feeling threatened by negative entities. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can say... Uh, kiddosh, 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 Adonai Tzibahot, which basically means holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. But the word Tzibahot in Hebrew literally translates to celestial armies. Wow. Armies. So they're armadas, okay? Yeah. So right. they're large groups, legions, you right. know, like 12,000 angels are in one legion. Wow. Okay, so when Jesus was in the New Testament, so when Jesus was talking, when he was being tested by Satan and he said, well, if you're the son of God, you can call on your angels to save you. You can get, you know, legions, uh, 12 legions of angels. So what is 12 legions of angels? Well, 12,000 times 12, that's 144,000. That's a lot. That's a huge army. And that's what's in the end time prophecy. Thanks for listening. For more of An Intrepid Adventure, go to markglenmore.com. This has been a Paul Robinson production. See you soon.